0: In the name of the one, true, and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. To begin today, let's focus in on Jesus. And we observe that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem in the text. And for the reader of Luke's gospel in general... This point is actually inescapable. Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion. The dramatic turning point of Luke's gospel actually comes two chapters before this reading where Luke says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem meaning now we are being swept up into the climactic moments of the story, Christ's own crucifixion and his resurrection. But here you might say there's a little bit of a crescendo before this climax. Somewhat interestingly, and I noticed it for the first time this week, it's the only place in all four Gospels where someone asks the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And in our modern world where many do not believe in an afterlife at all and others believe that everyone simply goes to heaven just because they are born, at least we can say that someone has bothered to ask the question. Someone indeed has recognized that there is something called salvation. Someone has actually believed that we are in need of it. And maybe most importantly, someone actually directed the question to Jesus. So today, I'd like to take up this question of salvation and talk about it in the context of three concerns. First, we will address what it is not, what we do not mean by salvation. Secondly, we will talk about what salvation is, what do we mean when we say salvation, and finally, we will talk about assurance. How can we ourselves know that we are on the path of salvation? First, when we say salvation, we do not mean that it is meant for just a few. When Jesus asked, Will those who are saved be few? At least part of his reply is this He says, Many will come from the north, the south, the east and the west, to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. In other words, the doors of salvation are open to all people, to everyone. We know this also from Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, where God says, I desire not the death of a wicked, but that he turn from his wickedness and live. The apostle Paul also teaches us this in 1 Timothy 2.4, He says that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that everyone will be saved, but that salvation is not meant for just a few, but for all. For all who repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, we can also say that salvation is not Salvation is not something that comes by either a casual association with Jesus or just a one-time encounter with him. This is expressed when Jesus says, Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But Jesus says, I will say in reply, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Maybe some of the most awful words in all of the Bible. In other words, Jesus is telling us that an intellectual knowledge of him is not enough. The Apostle James teaches us in chapter 2, verse 19 of his epistle that even the demons believe that there is one God and yet they shudder. And we ask ourselves the question, why do they shudder? Intellectually, they know. They know there is one God. They know that Jesus is Lord, but volitionally, they disobey. The demons simply refuse to submit to God's loving will. In the same way for us, a casual acquaintance with Jesus is also insufficient. We cannot simply claim to have listened to his teaching or to have shared in a foretaste of the banquet that is to come. Remember, the question on the table is about salvation. What does it mean to be saved? It involves our awareness that we actually need to be rescued, to be delivered from something perilous. In other words, if we truly want to experience the salvation of God, then we cannot follow who we want Jesus to be. We are only offered to follow him as he actually is. And by the way, that's a good thing. So then, what is this thing called salvation? What does it mean to be saved? To be saved, simply put, is to be rescued. To be saved is to be rescued from the consequences of our wrongdoing. What is our wrongdoing? These are the offenses that we commit against God and against one another. We call that sin, and oh, by the way, we just heard a list of the top ten of them a few minutes ago. What are the consequences of our wrongdoing? We call that hell. What is hell? Hell is an eternal separation from the God who knows us, who made us, and who loves us. Hell is where we feel the pain and the suffering of our wrongdoings without ever experiencing any relief from it. How are we saved from this hell? One way. The cross. The cross is what saves us from this hell. I suspect we've all heard the name Lance Armstrong. But I wonder if you've ever heard the name Tyler Hamilton. Tyler Hamilton. Tyler Hamilton was also an elite cyclist. He too was among the best in the world. Tyler was a teammate of Lance Armstrong. Tyler raced with Lance during Lance's seven Tour de France victories. And Tyler also used illegal substances to improve his cycling. And when it all came out in the wash, this is what Tyler said. Tyler said that hiding the lie was tearing him up inside. He said it was a weight, it was a burden, and it was very difficult to carry. Tyler said he knew right from wrong. He was raised the right way. And he didn't want to carry this burden, but he felt like he had gone too far. He was in too deep, and he was not sure how to get out. When it finally came out in the wash, he said that the feds questioned him for about seven hours concerning his misdeeds. And when they did, Tyler said that slowly but surely the truth started to come out of him. And then he said this. Tyler said, when I confessed, I knew that I was free. When I confessed, I knew that I was free. He said, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I didn't want to hold it in any longer. And now I didn't have to hold it in any longer. I did not have to live the lie anymore. And finally, he said this. When I confessed... It was a huge weight off my back. And then he even said this. He said, confession was the best thing that ever happened to me. Confession was the best thing that ever happened to me. Maybe we can ask this question. Is that true of you? Is it true that confession is the best thing that's ever happened to you? If so, how so? If not, why not? Many are afraid of confession because we know what we've done, we know how bad it is, and so we hold it in, hoping that somehow we might escape the just judgment of God. Sadly, but surely. Those are the ones to whom Jesus says, I don't know where you come from. I don't know where you come from. So another question. Where are you coming from this morning? Where are you coming from? If we are coming to Jesus from a place of pride or dishonesty or deception, tragically, he will say to us, depart from me you worker of iniquity, and we will experience the eternal hell of unforgiveness, guess what, that we have made for ourselves. For in the end, hell is something we choose for ourselves, born of our own unwillingness to say that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Here's the good news. If we're tired of living the lie, if we're finally ready to get the weight off of our back, we will find that in Jesus, confession is the best thing that's ever happened to us. And I can say that to you all day long, but you'll only know it when you experience it. Because we will come to the God who made us, who knows us, And loves us from a place of honesty and transparency and authenticity. And guess what? That's all he ever wanted anyway. That's all he ever wanted anyway. The benefits then open up into our hearts. Things that I expect that we have looked for and longed for all along. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of our confession. Let me say that another way. In the most radical thing that ever happened in human history, we give Jesus all the bad stuff, and he gives us all the good stuff. So again, where are you coming from this morning? You see, the hope of heaven is not a birthright because as the saying goes, if I'm okay and you're okay and we're all just okay, then why was the Son of God crucified on a cross 2,000 years ago? I'll tell you exactly what he was doing on that cross. He was loving us through our faults to show us what we need on that cross The very Son of God was loving us through our faults to show us exactly what we need. Our need to be loved, our need to be forgiven, and our need to be freed from these bondages of sin and death. And so to our last question, the question of assurance, how can we know that we're walking in the path of salvation? That's what we want, right? We want to be assured We want to know that God is for us and not against us. How does that happen? I want to leave you with three thoughts. And I want us to think about salvation from this point forward in this way. We've been saved. We're being saved. And we will be saved. We've been saved. We're being saved. And we will be saved. We have been saved by the life and the death. 2,000 years ago, our Lord cried out from the cross, It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. His objective declaration that he won. He won the victory over sin and death. We look back at that time, at that place, at that person as the point in human history when God saved us. We have been saved. And then we say to ourselves, but I live here and I live now. How is this salvation given to me or how is it appropriated to me? How can I know that I'm being saved today? And we answer this way by repentance and faith, through word and through sacrament. These are the objective means that God has given us today by which we can be assured that we are being saved. When we confess, when we turn from our wicked ways, when we trust Jesus to do that thing for us which we cannot do for ourselves When we are baptized, when we listen to the word and apply it to our lives, when we participate in Holy Communion, guess what? You're doing it right now. Right now you are participating in being saved by hearing the word of God and coming to the table that he offers us and receiving him week after week after week in Holy Communion. So what do we mean That we will be saved. We mean exactly what Jesus says when he tells us in his own words that those who persevere to the end will be saved. As the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians that we read this morning says, join in imitating me. What a bold statement. Have you ever thought about your own Christianity and thought, Bubba, join in imitating me? No, I've never done that. But I'd sure like to imitate Paul because he was awesome. Join in imitating me and to walk according to the example you see in me. Why? Because there's another group of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction because their God is their belly. They cannot get enough of the worldly appetite. Me, me, me. Can you not see the stark contrast between lust and love? Lust is self focused. It's inward focus. It's insatiable. It is never satisfied. It is always after more and more and more, but love is objectively different. Love wants the best for the other. Love looks for the best in the other. Love is always after the best in the other, just like Jesus is after the very best in us. In the end, Salvation is not simply a one-time event, nor are the sacraments given to us as any kind of magic bullet, but they are means by which God gives himself to us. After all, to be saved is to become what God intended all along, a people who delight to call him Father, even as he delights to call us his adopted children. So I leave this morning with this thought. When we're tempted to ask the question, Lord, will the saved be few? The better question for us to ask ourselves is this, Lord, will I be among the saved? Will I be among the saved? And this is how you can know. Because you have been saved. You are being saved. And through continual repentance and faith, and belief in Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, you will be saved.